Last time on I'm Sorry What the Podcast. The Butcher of Hanover. He's also known as the Vampire of Hanover and also known as the Wolfman. Okay. He committed the sexual assault, murder, and mutilation and dismemberment of a minimum of 24 boys and young men between 1918 and 1924 in Hanover, Germany. Is This sounds really weird, but it does sound like something that's right up my alley. I know how you like things up your alley, and this just sounds like... I mean, it sounds like his son probably could use some oh, yeah. help. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, actually... We're not even into it yet. <laughs> Uh, these God, I want to punch him in the throat. Uh, so I'm going to tell you all about the Franklin cover-up or the Franklin conspiracy or the Franklin credit union fiasco, whatever you want to call it. You have been telling me about this since episode, which is the one where I did the, the Denmark, the butcher of, I gotta find what episode it was. It's been a while. Um... Not the Bone Breaker. Oh, is that? The Monster of Belgium, episode four. You've been talking to me about this since episode four! Bitch, I think I've been doing research on this since episode four. (laughs) (laughs) Spearhead of this organization. I'm fogging up my glasses right now. I know. Oh, honey, we're only on page two. I don't... Why do you do this to me? Because it's called I'm Sorry What the Podcast, I'm not going to tell you about roses. And, but she knew he was a high school principal. Ew. Um, Yeah. I don't, this, I, what? (laughs) I'm sorry, but what are you fucking telling me? There are a lot. No! (laughs) No! No! Right, Clover! No! So I don't know how to start this, but this is episode 31 of, uh, I'm sorry what the podcast and I'm Amanda. I'm Christina. And, uh, if you made it through episode 30 and you're still listening to us, hey, thanks. Right. (laughs) We're recording this right after episode 30 and it's just a lot of, this is really dark. We're like still down, you know, I got some snuggle time with my puppy during the last half of it. Maybe do that for yourself when you're listening to this episode. Made it a little bit better. She's going to sneeze. She's going to blow. (laughs) (laughs) I just looked up at Amanda and her face was like fully formed sneeze, but it hadn't come out yet. (laughs) Good one. God bless you, my child. My nipples are hard. (laughs) (laughs) Why? That's weird. Yours don't do that. I get goosebumps and then my nipples get hard if I sneeze No, my nipples do not get hard when I sneeze. I'm sorry. That's fucking weird that you... (laughs) It's normal to me! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Down kitty. Kitties? Titties? Titties? Is that what you were going for? Because kitty's lower. Yeah, I know, but I don't know what I was going for. I don't want to know. I I wanted to say down puppies. (laughs) And kitties came out. Either way, you're still fucking weird. Yeah, well, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. What's up, guys? How you been for the last week? Because you're listening to this a week apart. Yeah, hope everybody's still alive. Um, That was dark. I'm but, sorry. I'm just... In- <laughs> we're going to leave a, a moment for you to answer how your week was right now. Oh, my God. 
I walked in last night. I have to tell a story now that you said that. <laughs> I walked into the house last night, and because I'm 30 and live with my parents, <laughs> I walk in the house, and the dogs are, like, super excited to see me and stuff, so I'm, like, talking to them, and I'm my mom and dad are sitting in their chairs, and they're watching the news, and I come in the house, and I was like, hey, guys, how's your day? They both have their cell phones out. Fucking no response. So I'm like, I was like, oh, it was a good Christmas. Oh, yeah, I had a good day. I was like, oh, uh, me too, Dad. I had a great day, too. And I sit down, and, like, probably 30 seconds later, Mom just busted out laughing, and she goes, were you talking to us? And I was like, fucking yeah, Linda! (laughs) Who who else? Who was I talking to? And she's like, I thought you were talking to the dogs. And I was like, yeah, because I regularly carry on third-person conversations with the dogs. Uh, I did that in my class. <laughs> like, you assholes were just too busy on your cell phones to <laughs> tell me how your day was. Yeah, I do that in my class, too, when, like, I do something, and they should be, like, saying thank you or, like, you know, acknowledging that I said something. and be like, oh, thanks, Amanda. You're the best. I just wish I could be just like you when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> And, and we're the problematic generation. It's yeah. us. It's fucking we're the ones stuck to our phones and our technology as you hold your paper to read your report. <laughs> My book report that I have. <laughs> a large book report that I printed off because I prefer to read off paper than my phone or my computer. I did that for a while, but then it ended up being too noisy for my liking, you know? I like it. Oh. <laughs> so... Shall we just, like, jump into this shit? Because we don't got any updates. Nope. We're... I mean, oh, I, did I talk about... We were... We are... We have, like... Oh, as no, of we today, didn't talk about that. When we're recording right now, as of today, so it's going to be back in time two weeks. August we 10th. We had 2,688 2, downloads. Yeah. And we were... We just hit 2,000, like... Not that long. Yeah, I was gonna say end of July ish. Australia and UK are like neck and neck. I think the UK pulled ahead for how many listeners we have. Killing it. (laughs) And then we've gotten we're now in twenty four countries. Yeah. Twenty four people around the like countries around the world we our podcast has been downloaded in. Download it and listen, because doesn't that show just listens full through because we also have the partials. Oh, that's scary. That's, I couldn't even figure out. We've got so many countries now, I can't remember when ones get added, and I can't figure out what the new ones are. It might have been Bangladesh, or it might have been Sweden. Those were the two unfamiliar I'm ones to me. I'm wondering if it was Sweden, because I did hashtag Sweden on the last one. Hashtag Sweden. So, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but it's cool. I don't know that it's a thing that I know, it's but... Cool. And it's scary. Yeah. So, guys. Hey, thanks. Yeah, you guys are cool. You're I mean, the best. You're not not cool. You're not, 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 not cool. There you go. He had to do four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Shall I hop back into yes. my story? When we left off, he was, he had killed a boy with it, and it had his head behind a stove. <laughs> Didn't find it. No, found his there. little <laughs> sex friend, Hans Granz. Hans Granz. And was doing, he had did six months in jail for the sexual assault and battery of the 13-year-old that he was caught with. Correct. And then uh, he was released and wormed his way back into being an informant for the police and basically had reset up his hunting grounds. Basically just ended up back where we started, but with a shit ton of other stuff 
happening on the side. Yes. Okay. Okay. So we're diving back in. So once he, upon his release through criminal contacts, he became aware of a vacant ground floor apartment, um, and that apartment was located in a densely populated old house, uh, or densely populated area in an old house located alongside the Lean River. Okay. I don't know if that's what I would pronounce, but that's what I'm going to call it. It's L-E-I-N-E. L-E-I-N-E? L-E-I-N-E. Lean, line. Liney? Lean. I don't know. I'm going lean. Lean. Fuck it. Fuck it. That's what I'm going with. River. Say it with confidence. Pauline River. That's my confidence. (laughs) (laughs) Just shake my head when I knock. (laughs) Act like I'm out to see. (laughs) An old-timey judge. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Okay. All right. So, Harmon secured a uh, leasing agreement with the landlady um, to use the property for storage purposes, and then he and Granz moved in on July 1st in 1921. Okay. Harmon's next victims mostly consisted of young male commuters, runaways, and occasionally male prostitutes, whom he would typically encounter in and around the Hanover Central Railway Station. Snatch them off the Um, railway. The second murder Harmon is known to have committed occurred on February 12th of 1923. Um, So he was released in 20, or 1920. So between 1920 and 1923, there's no reported, but that doesn't mean... Yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. (laughs) So the victim was a 17-year-old pianist named Fritz Frank, who... Fritz Frank? Fritz Frank! Hans Granz and Fritz Frank? (laughs) Gosh. What are we, in Germany? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Whom Harmon encountered at Hanover Central Station and invited to his apartment where he introduced the youth to Hans Granz and two female acquaintances, one of whom was Granz's female lover. According to Granz's lover, that evening, Granz whispered in her ear, hey, he's going to be trampled on today. Uh, That following day, both of these acquaintances returned to Harmon's apartment, where they were informed by Harmon that Frank had traveled to Hamburg. Okay, so they're like, he left. He's just not here anymore. Right. Okay. It's still not exactly clear on how much knowledge Granz had on Harmon's intentions towards Frank when he made that comment to the two female acquaintances. So whether it was they were going to bang or he knew that he was going to kill him. Oh, so it might have um, been an innuendo. Right. But according to Harmon, following this murder, Granz arrived unannounced at, his, at the apartment where he observed Frank's nude body lying upon Harmon's bed. Franz had simply looked at him and asked, when should I come back? Because it's that she'll take right. care of you, just be quiet and deal with it. So five weeks after the murder of Frank, on March 20th, Harmon met a 17-year-old named Wilhelm Schluz at Hanover Station. He had been traveling to work when he encountered Harmon. No human remains identified were ever found belonging to Schluz, uh, but most of his clothing was in the possession of Harmon. Harmon's landlady, Elizabeth Engel, at the time of Harmon's arrest. Okay. So that's going to be a pattern, is their clothes, their effects, their personal belongings, Harmon collected and either sold or kept for himself. Okay, so he's a trophies guy. But it's it's almost like he just, it. he wouldn't throw it away. He had, like, bags of clothes and stuff like that. So I don't so know if it hoarder? was trophies, or if it was a hoarder, or if he was trying to, he'd sell it, or wear it, or... Just some kind of fucked up, yeah. Little pack rat guy. He's like, mm, anything I can get my hands on, just put it away, because yes. I might use it at some point. 
So two more victims are um, known to have been murdered at this apartment before Harmon vacated the apartment in June and then moved again. Um, so 16-year-old Roland Hutch, who disappeared on May 23rd after informing a close friend he intended to run away from home to join the Marines. And 19-year-old Hans Sonfield, who disappeared on or about May 31st, whose distinctive yellow overcoat Harmon is known to have worn after the youth's murder. Okay. On June 9th, 1923, Harmon moved into a single-room attic apartment. Two weeks after moving to this address, on June 25th, a 13-year-old boy named Ernest Ehrenberg, the son of Harmon's neighbor, disappeared while running an errand for his father. His school cap and braces would be found at Harmon's apartment when he was arrested. Again, just the, the stuff. Mm-hmm. Weird. Um, two months later, on August 24th, an 18-year-old office clerk, I just have his first name, Heinrich, was reported missing by his aunt, whom he lived with. Um, many of his belongings would be found in Harmon's apartment. His murder would be followed one month later by the murder of 17-year-old Par- Paul Bronichewski, who disappeared en route to um, the city center, having worked with his uncle uh, throughout the summer. It's a, so it's got to be something where he likes the power of having their things, whether it be the right. East, because otherwise, wouldn't you just get rid of it? Like, that's what's tying him to all these people, it seems like, mm-hmm. all these boys. So police inquiries suggested that um, Bronchuskis had likely jumped a train at Hanover, and that's where he disappeared. So they tracked him to okay. there. So they believe that's where he encountered Harmon. Um, his jacket, his knapsack, pants, and a towel would all be found in the possession of Harmon following his arrest. <sighs> Harmon, dude. Um, his next, he is next known to have killed on or about September 30th of 1923. So we're still in 1923. Like he's, yeah, just steadily killing people. He's like what? Maybe <clears throat> did, 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 like almost 50? 1923. He was born in. 79, right? 1979, you do the math. 79, you said 23? 89 to 99. 09? 09. 19. And then plus 4. So 44. Yeah. Okay. He's roughly 44. So mid-40s, yeah. Yes. Um, so September 30th of 1923 is when he is next. his next victim. Um, it was 17-year-old Richard Graff, who was last... Uh, who last informed his family he had met an individual at Hanover Station who knows of a good job for me. Two weeks later, on October 12th, a uh, 16-year-old youth named Wilhelm Erdner failed to return, return home from work. So that was a little Gacy-esque. Mm-hmm. Okay. Subsequent inquiries by Erdner's parents revealed the youth became acquainted with a detective Fritz Honerbrock, a pseudonym used by Harmon. So he pretended to be a detective, and that's when he would do, like, citizen's arrests of people. Yeah. That was one of his pseudonyms. Um, shortly before his disappearance, both Harmon and Gron subsequently sold Erdner's bicycle on October 20th. Uh, within a week of having sold the bicycle, Harmon killed two further victims. 15-year-old Herman Wolf, who disappeared from Hanover Station on October 24th, and 13-year-old Heinz Brinkman, who was seen by witnesses standing in the entrance to Hanover Station at 11 p.m. and that, because he missed his train home. 
this is like just steady. Mm-hmm. Like there's not a break. No, it's that's wild. Okay, so this these were all in October. So in October alone, there were one, two, three. There's three in October. And then on November 10th, a 17-year-old apprentice carpenter from the city of Dusseldorf. I love saying that name. Dusseldorf. Dusseldorf. Uh, named Adolf. What's an unfortunate name? Adolf Hannipal, uh disappeared from Hanover Station. He was seen by several witnesses sitting upon a trunk in the waiting room. These witnesses who also positively identified Hans Granz in the company of Harmon pointing towards the kid who shortly thereafter was observed walking towards a cafe in the company of these two men. Okay. One month later, on December 6th, 19, so we only did one in November that we know of, 19-year-old um, Adolf Hennies, another, Hennies. disappeared. Uh, he had been seen or seeking employment at the time of his disappearance. None of the human remains recovered were identified as belonging to Hennies, whom Harmon specifically admitted to dismembering but denied killing. So who killed him? In um in court testimony that you'll eventually get to. Mm-hmm. Um who that was vehemently vehemently uh disputed by Granz, Harmon claimed he returned home to find Henny's body lying naked on his bed, with Granz and another criminal acquaintance named Hugo Witowski, stating the youth was one of yours. Neither Harmon nor Granz were convicted of Henny's murder due to conflicting testimony. Um so he's saying that Hans Granz was in on it then too, right? Because it's one of yours? Hans Granz was saying that it was one of Harmon's. Okay. So it was like a boy. It was for him, basically. Okay. And then they he dismembered him because Granz killed him. But Granz is saying that didn't happen. Okay. So then neither of them were testified because there was the only proof was between both of them saying one of the, the right. other one did it and there was never any body found. Right. Um, Conflicting testimony. So in 1924, his first first victim of the year was uh, Ernest Biker, and he was 17 years old, who disappeared on January 5th. Um, although trial testimony from a friend of Spiker would ident- indicate Harmon became acquainted with him before his murder, murder, Moida, Moida, <laughs> Harmon stated he would simply have to assume this kid was one of his victims due to all his personal possessions being found in his or Grant's possessions following his arrest. Also, is he starting to get, like, not, I don't want to say sloppy, but where he's not remembering all of it, too? I don't know if it was that or if it was just being, like, you don't have proof, but I I guess I did it. Like, kind of. See, and that's, like, (laughs) that's a guinea move, too. Yeah. You'd be like, well... I mean, if that's what you found, yeah, like that's, it's, it's basically basically, shit like basically that. just like yeah. backhanded, not saying I'm doing it, but also saying, I mean, right? Who knows? Um, so ten days later, Harmon killed twenty-year-old Heinrich Koch, unfortunate name, um, whom he is also believed to have been acquainted with prior to the murder. The following month, Harmon is known to have killed two further victims: nineteen-year-old Willie Sanger, who disappeared from the suburb of Linden Limmer. And on February 2nd, and after he informed his sister he was to travel with a friend, and then 16-year-old Herman Spiker, who was last seen by his sister on February 8th. Okay. Harmon is not known to have killed again until about April. Um, So there was a, from February to April, was like the first pause that he's had in his But did he have a pause? Because it's hard for me to believe that he went, he killed, 
waited for three years, and then all of a sudden picked up and was, like, multiples a month. Mm-hmm. And then take another break. Yeah. We'll, we'll get okay. to what he's, con- what he'll confess of, but. Okay. This is what the known, proven, okay. yes, we know you did this. Um. Let's see. On or about April 1st in 1924, when he, he is believed to have killed an acquaintance named Herman Bach. Although cleared of this murder at his trial, Harmon was in possession of Bach's clothing when arrested, and he is known to have given Bach's suitcase to his landlady. Harmon was also known to have actively dissuaded several of Bach's acquaintances from reporting him missing. Was I mean, I don't know how his stuff got here, but yeah. it wasn't me. Like, I just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, one week later, on April 8th, 16-year-old Alfred Ho- Hoggrief disappeared from Hanover Station, having run away from home in the town of Lairton um, on April 8th. So, like, he ran away, hopped a train, disappeared from Hanover Station. Okay. His murder would be followed nine days later by that of a 16-year-old apprentice named Wilhelm Apple, who Harmon encountered on his patrols of the Hanover Station. On April 26th, 18-year-old Robert Witzel disappeared after borrowing um, money from his mother, explaining he intended to visit a traveling circus. Okay. Enquiries by the youth's parents revealed their son had accompanied an official from the railway station to the circus. Hmm. Harmon himself would later state he killed Witzel the same evening and, having dismembered the youth's body, had thrown his remains into the Lean River. So, he's like... Kill him, cut him up, get rid of it type of guy. I'll get into that. Okay. I'm get, I'll am i get into that. Yay! Uh, two weeks after that mur- the murder of Witzel, Harmon killed a 14-year-old named Heinz Martin, who was last seen by his mother on May 9th and is believed to have been abducted from Hanover Station. All of his clothing was later found in Harmon's apartment. Less than three weeks later, on May 26th, a 17-year-old traveling salesman from the town of Castle named Fritz Wittig, whom Harmon would later state he killed upon the insistence of Granz as he had worn a good new suit that Granz coveted, was dismembered and discarded into the Lean River. The same day Wittig is believed to have been killed, Harmon killed his youngest known victim, 10-year-old Friedrich Albeling, who disappeared while truant from school. His murder would be followed less than two weeks later by that of 16-year-old Frederick Friedrichkock, who appeared to be Harmon approached by Harmon on June 5th as he walked to college. Uh, Harmon killed his final victim, 17-year-old Eric DeVries, on June 14th. He encountered Harmon at a Hanover station. His dismembered body would later be found in a lake located near the entrance to the Herrenhausen Gardens. Harmon would confess that it had taken him four separate trips to carry DeVries' dismembered remains, carried the bag in which he belonged to Fre- in the bag that belonged to Friedrich Koch to the location he had disposed of them. Um, on May 17th, 1924, two children playing near the Lean River discovered a human skull. It's like, no, he's not taking little kids. No. Uh, it was determined to be that of a young male aged between 18 and 20 bearing evidence of knife wounds Police were skeptical as to whether a murder had been committed or whether the skull had either been discarded in this location by grave robbers or placed there in a tasteless prank by medical students. Mm. 
Furthermore, police theorized that the skull may have been discarded in the river at Elfid, which had been recently experienced an outbreak of typhoid. So downriver. Yeah. Um, two weeks later, on May 29th, a second skull was found behind a mill race located near the scene of the earlier. So they found another skull near that, where that skull was located. Okay. It was also identified as having been that of a young male aged between 18 and 20. 20. Shortly thereafter, two boys playing in a field close to the village discovered a sack containing numerous human bones. Okay. Two more skulls will be found on June 13th. One upon the banks of the Lean River, another located close to the mill in West Hanover. Uh, each of the skulls had been removed from the vertebrae with a sharp instrument. One skull belonged to a male in his late teens, whereas the other belonged to a boy estimated to have been between the ages of 11 and 13 years old. In addition, one of these skulls also bore the evidence of having been scalped. Oh my gosh! Uh, for more than a year prior to these discoveries, rumors had circulated amongst the population of Hanover regarding the fate of the sheer number of children and teenagers who had been reported missing in the city. Um, the discoveries sparked rumors regarding missing and murdered children. So, like, this had been brewing for a while. Right. People were like, where are all these fucking kids going like missing? There's, again. like, multiple kids a, a month. He is like the German Dean Coral. Mm -hmm. It's weird. Okay. In addition... Various newspapers responded to these discoveries and the resulting rumors by harking to, uh, by basically listing all of the number of young people who had been reported missing in Hanover between 1818 and 1924. In 1923 alone, almost 600 teenage boys and young men have been reported missing in Hanover. Holy shit! On... June 8th, several hundred Hanover residents converged close to the Lean River and searched both the banks in the river and the surrounding areas, discovering a number of human bones, which were brought to the police. Hold on. 600. I just, like, rethought about that. Mm -hmm. That is a lot of fucking kids, like, for one singular space to have but that many I mean, many in kids. 1918 or 1924, they were living next to a railway station. I'm assuming a lot of kids hop to the rails. Well, and I'm sure it's like, oh, they're 16, they're going to find work someplace, mm -hmm. right. going to whatever. But still, that's just, like, a lot yeah. for one space in the, like, early 1900s, you right. know? Wow. Okay. Sorry, I just had a moment of, like, holy well, fucking it's so shit. Different than, like, in Iowa in 2018, there was, like, 3,500 missing people. And yeah. And that goes, that's reported, anyone who is reported missing, but that goes between, like, Kids who ran away or kids who stayed mm -hmm. out too late and their parents called the cops. So, it, like... Right. Well, and, I mean, if you look at, like, the missing 411 or the Trail of yeah. Tears, there's places where that, like, it's a burst of missing people and people, it's just not... Right. ...reported. Or, well, it's not noticed. Okay. So, they... the A bunch of people, like, several hundred Hanover residents kind of searched the banks of the river, found a bunch of bones, brought it to the cops... So in response to those discoveries, the police dragged the entire section of the river, which ran through the set center of the city. Okay. Um, in doing so, they discovered more than 500 human bones and sections of bodies, many bearing knife striations, which were later confirmed by a court doctor to have belonged to at least 22 separate individuals. I just want you to think about this every time we pass a body of water. And I know. I'm like, how many, many dead, dead bodies do you think are in there? there? That was so satisfying. <laughs> yes, that's... I, this is what I yeah, think every time. Is, yep. 
Um, approximately half of the remains had been in the river for some time, um, where other bones and body parts had been discarded in the river more recently. Um, many of the recent and age discoveries bore evidence of having been dissected, particularly at the joints. Over 30% of the remains were judged to have belonged between young males ages between 15 and 20. Uh, suspicion for the discoveries quickly fell upon Harmon, who was known to both the police and the criminal investigation department as a homosexual, who had amassed 15 previous convictions dating from 1896 for various offenses, including child molestation and the sexual assault and battery of a minor. Mm -hmm. So now that they've put all the pieces together and they're like, hey, we have a whole bunch of missing boys. Hey, we have a fucking raper running around the train station doing our bidding, Mm -hmm. and we don't look at him for anything because he tells us petty criminals and... Uh, Yeah. I'm just, ugh. Ugh. So... Uh, more also though, Harmon had been connected to the 1918 disappearance of Friedel, Friedel Roth and the 14 year old boy named Herman Koch who had disappeared weeks prior to Roth. Harmon was placed under surveillance, um, and being trusted by a police informant, Harmon was known to frequent Hanover Central Station. Like I had said, he was well known to many of the officers from Hanover. Two young policemen were drafted from Berlin to pose as undercover officers and discreetly observe his movements. Um, and they began that surveillance on June 18th of 1924. So they brought in cops from Berlin to surveil him because he basically knew all the cops in Hanover. So he would have known if he was being tailed by the cops in Hanover. Right. On the night of June 22nd, Harmon was observed to, by the two undercover officers prowling Hanover Central Station, he was soon observed arguing with a 15-year-old boy named Carl Fromm, then uh, to approach police and insist they arrest the, the youth on the charge of traveling upon forged documents. Upon his arrest, Fromm informed the police he had been living with Harmon for four days and that he had been repeatedly raped by his accuser, sometimes as a knife was held to his throat. Harmon was arrested the following morning and charged with sexual assault. Following his arrest, Harmon's attic apartment was searched. Harmon had lived in the single-room apartment since June of 1923. The flooring, walls, and bedding within the apartment were found to be extensively bloodstained. Oh my gosh. Harmon initially attempted to explain this fact as a byproduct of his illegal trading of contraband meat. Guys, you don't understand. I just sell a lot of steak that is illegal, too. So, I mean, it's still bad, but <laughs> no. Oh, my God. That's, I can't imagine. Think about it. Saturated. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Okay. So, various acquaintances and former neighbors of Harmon were also extensively questioned as to his activities. Many fellow ten- tenants and neighbors of the various uh, addresses in which Harmon had lived. So, he lived in, like, four different apartments commented detectives about the number of teenage boys they observed visiting his various addresses. Um, Some had seen him living, leaving his property with concealed sacks, bags, or baskets, invariably in the late evening or early morning hours. You know when people are not around to see it. Uh, Two former tenants informed police that in the spring of 1924, they had discreetly followed Harmon from his apartment and observed him throwing sacks into the Lean River. The clothes and personal possessions found at Harmon's apartment and in the possession of his acquaintances 
were suspected as being the property of missing youths. All youths. Youths. All were confiscated and put on display at Hanover Police Station with the parents of missing teenage boys from across Germany invited to look at the items. That's so sad. Mm-hmm. Um, as the days passed, an increasing number of items were identified by family member to, members of having been belonged to their sons and brothers. Harmon did initially attempt to dismiss these successive revelations as being circumstantial, explaining he had acquired many of these items through his business in trading and used clothing, with other items being left at his apartment by youths with whom he had engaged in sexual activity. They just left it there. Um, the turning point was when, on June 29th, clothes, boots, and keys found at Harmon's apartment were identified as belonging to a missing 18-year-old named Robert Witzel. Okay. A skull which had been found in the garden on May 20th, which was not initially connected with later skeletal discoveries, was identified as that of of Robert Witzel. Boom, bitch. Um, a friend of Witzel identified a police officer seen in the company of him that day prior to his disappearance, and they identified it being Harmon. Uh, confronted with this evidence, Harmon briefly attempted to lie um, and kind of make up excuses his way out of it. Um, but when Witzel's jacket was found in the possession of his landlady and he was confronted with various witnesses, testimony as to um, his destroying identification marks upon the clothing, he broke down and had to be supported by his sister. Like a little bitch. <laughs> and his sister convinced him to confess. So faced with the latest evidence and upon the urging of his sister, he confessed to raping, killing, and dismembering many young men in what he initially described as rabid sexual passion between 1918 and 1924. Ew. So the reason Harmon is known as the Butcher of Hanover due to his extensive mutilation and dismemberment uh, committed upon his victim's body. But he's also called the Vampire of Hanover and the Wolfman because he his of his preferred method of killing. Does he bite into their jugular? His preferred method of killing was biting into or through his victim's throats often as they were being strangled oh in God. many instances in this act would cause the victim to die as asphyxiation. Although on several occasions, Harmon would bite completely through the victim's Adam apple and trachea. Oh God. And he liked to refer to that act through his victim of biting through his victim neck, victim's neck as his love bite. What the fuck? And that's actually why in the what? case you cannot just skim past <laughs> fucking biting through an Adam's apple and suffocating them basically with their own blood. That's bullshit. That is gross. You think I'm gross. That's gross. Then you try to just go into the No, next I was there was a continuation. Oh of the my god. Thought. His argument for that one body that he said I didn't kill, I dismembered was there his love bite wasn't a part of that body. And he actually, that's what he said in the court. I didn't have, it didn't have my love bite on it. So, I, ew, first of all, <laughs> fucking ew, first of all, ew. I, uh, 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 it hurts my throat to think about, and I can't even imagine, oh my god. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, okay. 
Oh, let me just re- readjust myself. That, I don't like that. That's, I, yeah. I, I, it's, it's weird. Like, I can talk about this shit that's and it, how like, I makes like, me uncomfortable, I, but this the, is like. The Wikipedia, the first sentence is killed blah, 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 blah by biting through their throats. And I was like, I'm sorry. What? And I'm, that's, I'm <laughs> that's a little how I was surprised. like. That Wikipedia had that because usually they have a very like scarce amount of details. To no, that stuff. it's it's a very in depth article and information. It's probably the most in depth. Like I said this, but the most in depth Wikipedia article I've ever read. Wow. Okay. Um. All right. Like my my thing is twenty pages, and I probably didn't even put half of what's in the article just because there was so much detail. Wow. Okay. So I think I'm ready. I think I've okay, gathered so, myself. Love bite. <laughs> Um, don't, I, <laughs> why you gotta bring it up? <laughs> Try, I'm trying to work past it. It, like, makes my throat hurt. Yeah, it's not, okay. I mean, it's not fun. I'm not done yet, though. I know. So, according to Harmon, he never actually intended to murder any of his victims, but would be seized by an irresistible urge to bite through their Adam's apple, often as he manually strangled them in the throes of ecstasy. Not about kink shaming, but weird kink, bro. <laughs> like, I've never, never once in my life had someone be like, you know what, I just really want to bite through someone's esophagus. Mm-hmm. Like, right now. So, he's strangling them, biting through their throats, and then after that, he would collapse on top of their body as they died. Uh, there was only one intended victim. Oh, only one intended victim had escaped from Harmon's apartment after he attempted to bite into his Adam's apple. But this individual is not known to have ever reported the attack to the police, and Harmon didn't know what his name was. Well, uh, why? Well, probably because he it's probably one that he went willingly, like for oh, gay and sex a homosexual. and homosexual. Yeah. Oh, god, shit. Um, all of Harmon's victims' bodies were disposed of via dismemberment, shortly after their murder. Uh, Harmon was insistent that he found the act of dismemberment extremely unpleasant, and he had stated been ill for eight days after his first murder. I would fucking hope so. Uh, Harmon was insistent that his passion at the moment of murder was invariably stronger than the horror of the cutting and the chopping, which would follow and would typically take up to two days to complete. To fortify, are you ready for this? I don't know. Okay, so to fortify himself to dismember his victim's bodies, Harmon would pour himself a cup of strong black coffee. That's it? Just a cup of Joe? Just gonna take this, uh... Gonna have a cup of coffee and then cut up a body. Right near! (laughs) That's what you're, okay, that's not very German of you, but alright. I can't. Um... Then he'd place the body of his victim on the floor of his apartment and cover the face with a cloth before removing the intestines, which he would place inside a bucket. Okay. A towel would then be repeatedly placed inside the abdominal cavity to soak up all the blood. He would then make three cuts between the victim's ribs and shoulders and then take hold... I don't want to say this. Say it. He would make three cuts between the victim's ribs and shoulders and then take hold of the ribs and push until the bones around the shoulders broke. The victim's heart... He would... Hold on. He would break the clavicle by just shoving it down until it broke so he could pull it loose. Yeah. That's why I didn't want to say it. 
Dude, it's cartilage. Just fucking cut it. Get a fucking wire cutter. I'm sorry. That's... Ignore me. Cut. The victim's heart, lungs, and kidneys would then be removed, diced, and placed in the same bucket with which held the intestines. Why did you dice it? I don't... I don't fucking know, okay? (laughs) Seems like a lot of work Mm -hmm. for just putting it in a bucket with the shitty intestines, but... Alright. Okay. Before the legs and arms would be severed from the body, Harmon would then... Harmon would then begin paring the flesh from the limbs and the torso. Uh, the surplus flesh would also be disposed of, would be disposed of in the toilet or usually in the nearby river. Well, so maybe that's why. Uh, the final sections of the victim's bodies to be dismembered was invariably the head. Um, Harmon claimed that after severing the head from the torso, he would use a small kitchen knife to strip all the flesh from the skull which he would then wrap in rags and place face downwards upon a pile of straw and bludgeon with an axe until the skull splintered, enabling him to access the brain. This he would then place also in a bucket, which he would pour alongside the chopped bones into the river. And so, chopped up bones into the river. So he claims that all of the skulls that were found are not his victims, because he smashed all of the skulls of his victims. crack them open. Yes, like a walnut. Yeah, I, so it makes some sense now if he's, like, flushing things down the toilet and, I mean, the intestine, that'll be one of the first things to basically break down so that if they're throwing it in the river, it'll go away, but the little bits will go away faster than the big ones, so I guess it makes sense. Don't, I'm sorry. Don't judge me. I feel your judging fucking eyes on me. That's not why. Okay. Following Harmon's arrest, rumors would circulate that the flesh of his victims had been consumed by Harmon himself or sold on the black market as pork or horse meat. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, There was no physical evidence found at his house to confirm these theories, but um, Harmon was known to be an active trader in contraband meat, Mm -hmm. which was invariably boneless, diced, and often sold as mints. So, technically, he wasn't lying. <laughs> it's contraband. It's his meat contraband business is the reason why his apartment soaked in blood. He just wasn't saying that it's human meat. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. Uh, to the various individuals who questioned where he got the meat, Harmon would explain that he had purchased the product from a butcher named Carl. Although... Carl! Although investigators would later note that the stories he told regarding the origins of the meat that he was selling kind of varied. But he was, like I said, he was insistent that none of the skulls found in the lean belonged to him. um, And that the forensic identification of the skull of Robert Witzel was mistaken as he had smashed all of his victim's skulls. Okay, so... Um, The exception being those of his earliest victims, which... He killed several years prior to his arrest and the last known victim, Eric DeVries. Um, Although he was insistent that none of the murders were premeditated, investigators discovered a lot of circumstantial evidence suggesting that several murders had been planned hours or days in advance and that Harmon had both concocted explanations for his victims' disappearances and dissuaded acquaintances of his victims from filing missing persons reports with the Hanover police. I was like, what's his nuts? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. He also noted that Harmon would only confess to murders for which there was evidence against him. 
On one occasion, he stated, there are some victims you don't know about, but it's not those that you think. Uh, when asked how many victims he killed, he said somewhere between 50 and 70. The police, however, could only connect Harmon with the disappearance of 27 children. 50 to 70. And he was charged with 27 murders, some of which he claimed were committed upon the insistence of Hans Grons, who was also arrested on July 8th and formally charged with being an accessory to murder a week later. Okay. So on August 16th, 1924, Harmon went, underwent a psychological examination at Gottingen, Gottingen, Gottingen? I don't know. Whatever. Medical school. And on September 25th, he was judged competent to stand trial and returned to Hanover to await trial. Okay. The trial of Harmon, or Fritz Harmon and Hans Granz began on December 4th, 1924. Harmon was charged with the murder of 27 boys and young men who had disappeared between 19 and June of 2000. Uh, September, September 1918 and June of 1924. In 14 of these cases, Harmon, who insisted upon conducting his own defense, of course, mm -hmm. acknowledged his guilt, although he claimed to be uncertain of the identification of the remaining 13 victims upon the list of charges. Bronze pleaded not guilty to charges of being an accessory to murder in several of the murders. Um, initially, so this case, initially during the trial, all members of the public were permitted to access the courtroom. But by the third day, the judge was like, um, it's probably not a good idea. Uh, because of the graphic nature of the discussion uh, of the content. Yeah. So then... He closed it to um, the public. However, the trial was still one of the first major modern media events in Germany. Which is funny, considering it's, like, what, 19... What did you say? 24. 24. And then this is the... Uh, the trial was one of the... I said that. Um, it received extensive internal press coverage and was described as being the most revolting case in German criminal history. I can imagine. I mean, it's rough. Um, although Harmon denied... Give it a few years, kids. Oh, sorry. 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 Um, although Harmon denied any premeditation in the crimes and remained adamant that the ultimate reason he killed was a mystery to him, he did confess to having killed 14 of the victims um, for, for who he was being tried for. Um, and retaining and selling many of the possessions, although he denied having sold the body parts of any of his victims. I don't know if I believe you. Mm -mm. Harmon's denial that he had either consumed or sold human flesh would be supported by a medical expert who testified that none of the meat found in Harmon's apartment at the time of his arrest was human. Okay, okay. But, when asked to identify, I'll get to that, sorry. Uh, when asked to identify photographs of his victims, he became very kind of like withdrawn and dismissive as he typically claimed to be unable to recognize any of his victims. Um, however, in instances where he claimed to be unable to recognize his victims' faces, um, but the victim's clothing or other personal belongings had been found in his possession, he would simply shrug and make comments to the effect of, I probably killed him or charge it to me. It's all right with me. So it was like weirdly not... 
admitting guilt, but also being like, whatever, it's fine, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, on another at another time when he was asked to identify a photograph of victim Alfred Hogfrey, uh, Harmon stated, "I certainly assume I killed him, but I don't remember his face." There were numerous exhibits introduced into evidence into the opening days of the trial. Uh, there were 285 sections of skeletal structure, partially, particularly skulls and thigh bones, recovered from the Lean River and forensically determined to have been belonging to young men under 20 years of age. Um, the bucket into which he stored and transported human remains and the extensively blood-stained camp bed upon which he had killed many of his victims... Um, was all part of the evidence at the trial. So several acquaintances and criminal associates of Harmon testified for the prosecution, including former neighbors who testified to having purchased brawn or mincemeat from Harmon, whom they noted regularly left his apartment with packages of meat but rarely arrived with them. Oh, dang. Uh, Harmon's landlady, Elizabeth Engel testified that Harmon would regularly pour chopped pieces of meat into boiling water and would strain fat from the meat. Harmon claimed was pork. This fat would invariably be poured into bottles. On one occasion in April of 1924, Harmon's landlady and her family became very ill after eating sausages in skins Harmon claimed were sheep's intestines. Another neighbor testified to the alarming number of youths who he had seen entering Harmon's apartment, but whom he seldom observed leaving the address. Um, This neighbor assumed Harmon was selling youths to the Foreign Legion. Um, Another neighbor testified to having observed Harmon throw a sack of bones into the river. Uh, Two female acquaintances of Hans Granz also testified on how on one occasion in 1923, they discovered what they believed to have been human mouth boiling in a soup kettle. A human mouth? Mm Mm-hmm. In Harmon's apartment, these witnesses testified that they had taken the item to Hanover Police Station, who they simply replied that that piece of flesh was a pig snout. How do you delete? I'm confused. I'm wondering if he had a boiling head. Okay. And, like, the jawbone or the, like, they saw the mouth at the top of the water or something. Okay, but they took it to the police station? And they said it was a pig snout. Or part of the pig's Because I was like, how do they know it's like a mouth if it's mm-hmm. just like a part of something? Like, is it the lips? Is it the tongue? Right. I don't know what the actual part of it was. But um, by the second week of the trial, testimony began to focus upon the extent of police knowledge of the criminal activities Harmon engaged upon Ooh. following his 1918 release from prison and issues relating to the trust bestowed upon him. So there was a lot of that drawn into question and questioning of the police. But the trial lasted barely two weeks and saw a total of 190 witnesses called to testify. These witnesses included parents of the victims who were asked to identify their son's possessions, uh, police officers, psychiatrists, and numerous acquaintances of both Harmon and Granz. On December 19th, 1924, uh, the court reconvened to impose sentence upon both defendants, Judge Thane, and accountable for his actions. Harmon was found guilty of 24 of the 27 murders and sentenced to death by beheading. He was acquitted of three murders, which he denied committing. Upon hearing the sentence, Harmon stood before the court and proclaimed, I accept the verdict fully and freely. 
Condemn me to death. I ask only for justice. I am not mad. Make it short. Make it soon. Deliver me from this life, which is a torment. I will not petition for mercy, nor will I appeal. I want to pass just one more merry night in my cell with coffee, cheese, and cigars. <laughs> After which I will curse my father and go to my execution as if it were a wedding. Coffee, oh, yeah. cheese, and cigars. I mean, I'm down for the cheese. Can I sidebar for a second? Yeah. We have a running joke in our family because my dad used to smoke when we were kids. Mm-hmm. And we'd all go to church and he'd stay home. And he would, we'd come home and he would have turned the coffee pot on, made his cup of coffee, and then gone into the bathroom to take his morning poop and would smoke a cigarette. So when we'd come home from church on Sundays, our house would smell like shit, coffee, and cigarettes. (laughs) And it's like a very distinctive smell that all of my siblings make fun of as being like weirdly comforting. The smell of home. <laughs> the smell Shit, of coffee and cigarettes. cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just those three things just rang that with me, and I felt the need to sidebar and share that with you right then. Sorry. No, that's totally fine. Ah, the 80s and early 90s when people <laughs> just smoked wherever they fucking were. My dad used to smoke in the house until our doctor, because I used to get constant ear infections, and our doctor, my doctor, Christensen, was finding the like, do you enjoy your daughter being sick? Stop smoking in the house. Right? <laughs> well, that's... My parents used to smoke in the house. I don't know, up until, like, Susan quit, which was, I mean, a long time ago now. And then it was like, nope, out. And my dad still used to smoke. That was your phone. It's fine. Still <laughs> used to smoke um down in his basement. Mm-hmm. Like, he had his office basement area, and he would smoke down there. I've and never every time been he'd... in the basement of your house. No, I've been to the basement of my house. I've never been in the oh, basement of your I house. I have two basements in my house. I have an old cellar basement, and then I have, like, a new finished basement, and that's the one that he used to have, like, his recording stuff in and everything. I've never been down there. Well, you can go down there sometime. It's just storage. It's very exciting. That's weird that I've never been in the basement <laughs> of your I've house. I've never been in the basement of your house. <laughs> you never wondered what that one door that comes off of the dining room was? I have two doors in oh, that I dining room. Oh, I never even thought about it. I there's was just like, door I, thought, I was thought, assumed it was just like a closet or something. Yeah, there's a door with the calendar. That's the cellar that my mom keeps, like, canned stuff in sometimes and some other, like, storage that doesn't go bad with, like, the musty stuff. And then my dad's is the other one that's, like, on the way into the living room to the left. I just assumed those were closets. That was, yeah, no, that's... I had no basements. idea. All right, sorry. Anyway, sorry. Sorry, focus. But, yeah, so he Basement smoked talk, down there. Weird. So that was always, like, a almost comforting smell, too, but mm-hmm. also I would get real sick from yeah. some cigarette smoke. All right. Focus. Dive back in. <laughs> <laughs> so, Granz was found guilty of incitement to murder... And sentenced to death by beheading in relation to the murder of victim Adolf Happenel, uh, which was the guy that, I don't know. The unfortunate name, Adolf. Yeah, there's two of them with Adolf, but I'm sorry. This is, there's a lot of them. There's so many names. I can't keep track. Um, With an additional sentence of 12 years imprisonment imposed for being an accessory to murder. But if you're being going to be beheaded, that's just kind of, I don't know. But Well, I think it's for the... um, Upon returning to his cell after hearing the verdict, he collapsed. Um, so was it from a panic attack, like when he was in the armed forces? No, that was Harmon. 
Oh, Hans Grons. Hans Grons. Okay. However, the discovery of a letter from Harmon declaring Hans Grons' innocence subsequently led to Grons receiving a second trial. So this letter was dated Jan- or February 5th of 1925 and it was addressed to the father of Hans Grons. In this letter, Harmon claimed that although he had been frustrated at having been seen as little more than a meal ticket by Grons, he had absolutely no idea that I killed. Furthermore, Harmon claimed many of his accusations against Grons prior to his trial were obtained under extreme duress and that he had falsely accused Grons of instigating the murders of Hannipal and Witzel as a means of revenge. Harmon claimed that his pastor would be informed as to the contents of the and the authenticity of the letter. Okay. So, um, he was re- Grounds was retried in January of 1926. He was charged with aiding and abetting Harmon in the murders of victims Adolf Happenel and Fritz Whitting. Although Grounds stated in one address to the judge at his second trial that he expected to be acquitted on January 19th, he was again found guilty of aiding and abetting in both cases. Although in this instance, he was sentenced to two concurrent 12-year sentences. Um, after serving a 12, one 12 years or two, after serving this 12 year sentence, Granz was extra legally interned at Saxonhausen concentration camp. Oh, uh, and then following the conclusion of the second world war, he continued to live in Hanover until his death in 1975. Interesting. So they put him in a concentration camp. He served his jail sentence and then they moved him to a concentration camp. Weird. Mm-hmm. And Saxonhausen. 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 Uh, Harmon made no appeal against the verdict, claiming his death would atone for his crimes and stating that he would, that were he at liberty, he would likely kill again. Granz did lodge an appeal against his sentence, um, although his appeal was rejected in, on February 6th of 1925. So he, Granz appealed, I think, Harmon's sentence. Oh. For him. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So at six o'clock, on the morning of April 15th, 1925, Fritz Harmon was beheaded by guillotine in the grounds of Hanover Prison. In accordance with German tradition, Harmon was not informed of his execution date until the prior evening. Upon receipt of the news, he observed prayer with his pastor before being granted his final wish of an expensive cigar to smoke and Brazilian coffee to drink in his cell. He didn't want, like, a block of cheddar or anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just to, to round out the trio? Apparently Again, not. You're missing one of your cogs in the machine yeah. there, bruh. At least the uh, coffee will let him poop. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, no members of the press were permitted to witness the execution, and the event was seen only by a handful of witnesses. According to published reports, though, Harmon was pale and nervous. He maintained a sense of bravado as he walked to the guillotine. The last words Harmon spoke were, I am guilty, gentlemen, but hard though it may be, I want to die as a man. Immediately prior to placing his head upon the execution apparatus, Harmon added, I repent, but I do not fear death. And then it was dropped. Uh, Following Harmon's execution, sections of his brain were removed for forensic analysis. An examination of slices of Harmon's brain revealed traces of meningitis, although no sections of Harmon's brain were permanently preserved. Nonetheless, his head was preserved in formaldehyde and remained in the possession of the Gottingen Medical School from 1925 until 2014. Mm -hmm. 
when it was finally cremated. That's how I knew his name. I was like, I know the name. I just couldn't, I don't know any of those details you told me, but Mm -hmm. I remember he had the, he was on display. Yeah. His head. Uh, the murders committed by Harmon stirred, uh, I'm just, this is just a little note, stirred a lot of discussion in Germany regarding the methods police used in investigation, the treatment of mentally ill offenders, and the validity of the death penalty. However, the most heated topic of this, Clover, I swear to fuck, stop barking. However, the most heated topic of discussion in relation to the murders committed by Harmon were issues relating to the subject of homosexuality which was then illegal and punishable by imprisonment in Germany. Um, so ridiculous. They, the discovery of the murders stirred a wave of homophobia throughout Germany, with one historian noting it split the gay rights movement in irreparably, fed every prejudice against hum- homosexuality, and provided new fodder for conservative adversaries of legal sex reform for years to come. And then my last note is the remains of Harmon's victims, which had been recovered, were buried together in a communal grave in Stockener Cemetery in February of 1925. And in April of 1928, a large granite memorial in the form of a triptych inscribed with the names and ages of the victims was erected over the communal grave. And that is the story of the Butcher of Hanover. Weird. I wish I could have seen his face. His head. I wonder. I'm from Naldehyde. Google it, bitch! Googling it. While you do that, I'm gonna just make the most noise possible and... Thanks. Get my phone. That was your phone. Yes! I got it! Let me see, let me see, let me see! Does it look like the head in the jar in the Silence of the Lambs? Does it look like the head of the jar? Also, the of the lambs? I never looked at his face. He was a deaf rock in a Hitler stash. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, oh, Jesus! Can I just like look that a little closer? Wow, like you can legitimately see all the bits of his face. That's fucking weird. Close out of that and look. There's a bunch of other ones on the Google search. It's fucking weird. He's Steph rocking the Hitler stash, though, right? Yeah, he is. Dude. 1924 or 26 to 2014. How many years is that? 1926 until 2014. Mm-hmm. 20, 2026 would have been 100 80, years. 88 years? <laughs> Ish. 24. 14. 24? 1926 to 20. That's what I yeah. thought. I was like, yeah, so 88. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Yee. Yeah. Yee. Yeah. That's real. I wish I could have seen I it. I like how time. you stop on Andre Chikatilo, so it's just his fucking creepy-ass <laughs> crazy smiley ass. face. His crazy-ass. <laughs> I chew on uteruses like gum. Ew. Um, stop it. Well, he does. So that's it. That's that on that. Oh my, oh my gosh. That was something else. Dad's home. You home there, bud? 
All right, so uh, are we going to dive into thanks yours? Thanks for now? that. You like that? Yeah. You like that? You want to save your this first so we for sure have it saved? I suppose. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the investigation side of the Franklin cover-up. Oh, I should do my recap. Yes, recap. Recap. Took Larry it to King. Boy Town. Boys Town. Boys Town. Yes. Okay. Larry King, the leader head honcho of the Franklin Credit Union, which was a Ponzi scheme or even a money laundering scheme for a child sex ring. Okay. Uh, or Benaki and other young adults came out saying that when they were kids and teenagers, they were abused by these governmental figures and all these other, like, high-profile type of people. And now we're getting into where they started investigating it because all of these kids came forward. Right. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to start with the name you need to remember is John DeCamp. He's kind of like the superhero of the story in my mind. So he started, he's a lawyer for the National Child Abuse Defense and Resource Center in Nebraska, whose focus was originally to fight against false accusations by children, because at this time it was... The satanic panic. Yeah, all of that stuff. So he his job was created in order to kind of fight all that. But he got involved with this case when he discovered the $40 million that was missing from the credit union, and Larry King's name kept popping up. So after this all was found out, the FBI raided the, the credit union. Once DeCamp was able to dig deeper into these fraudulent charges, he found that there was more than just money missing. Things just didn't add up. He noticed that Larry King's name kept popping up in all of these child welfare accusations because he's part of that whole... Oh. So the same name keeps getting He's said. part of Boys Town? No, he's part of the um, child abuse, the National Child Abuse Defense in oh. Nebraska. That's He's the lawyer for that, but okay. his job was originally just to fight false accusations, but now because he's... No, I was talking about Larry King's, that's why his name kept popping up in this child abuse the thing. Yeah, yeah. because, well, Boys Town technically is just like a facet of this. This mm-hmm. is just... Larry King is basically running this child sex ring. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah but, but that's why his name kept popping okay. up because all these kids were coming forward saying they were abused and his name kept coming from okay, different got kids. It, got it. Got it. So the, this is when I'm like the book, the Franklin cover up covers it very detailed, very, very well in comparison to me. But um, to bring it kind of into the present, the um, in 1990 there was a connection meant like mentioned about Sandusky, Jerry Sandusky from mm-hmm. Penn State, who in 2008 got yeah, got convicted for, for child abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, but in 1990, his name was brought up <gasps> by somebody too, with involved in this. Yeah, oh. yeah, and another um, person that possibly has some sort of connection to this, whether it be the ongoing um, sex trade in the United States, was um, Weinstein, (gasps) who... Harvey fucking Weinstein! 
not Weinstein, Epstein. So oh. Jeffrey Epstein was a financial, a financier who was just recently, con- recently convicted. <sighs> this morning, they found him dead in his, in his jail cell. Of August suicide? 10th, suicide, hanging. He was suicided, is what I'm assuming, um, at 7.30 this morning. <sighs> And then, like, it's one that I kind of, I almost want to cover it because it's very interesting. Just even the article that kind of gave it a little snapshot of what he was convicted for and his stuff that I read. I was like, oh, I want to look more into that because it's very just like, what the fuck? But I think that that could be all, like, roundly connected into this sort of, like, the high-profile people in this sex ring. So that was my little thing that I was like, oh, well, that's exciting to add into here. Because it clearly is still a thing that's happening throughout different branches of entertainment, sports, anybody who's a high-dollar person. So to camp, (laughs) your face, (laughs) it's gross. I'm not, I act all excited. I'm like, I'm I'm kind of excited that he's dead. He was a raper. He was. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, Jerry Sandusky was just also a raper. Yeah. Was convicted in 2008 of like molesting and raping boys Mm -hmm. between the ages of like 10 and 12 or something or like eight and 12. Yeah. Okay. And older. Yeah. But, oh, gross. So the camp fought through the attempts to get him silenced by the authorities Authorities, uh, authorities. You know, the lieutenant was trying to silence everybody. The Franklin Committee, which was an official, sorry, I gotta go down the page, was an official government committee. This committee's head investigator was was Gary Caradori, which is another name to remember. Caradori found a witness who's te- who testified named Alicia Owen. One of the, it was Banaki and Alicia are the ones that in this committee testified on the stand. Okay. Um, who fought tooth and nail to testify. She was afraid to, she didn't mm-hmm. want to. She's like, they're going to come and get me if I do. But Owen knew that. Knew Banaki, and he actually encouraged her to come forward so that there was more than just him. Yeah. Um, she would detail the abuse going on all the way back to 1983, and this was in 89 that she was testifying. So, I have a question. Banaki yes. was kidnapped. Yes. Did he ever, like, get back with his family? And that's what I was, I was trying to figure out, like, what exactly the backstory was on all of that. I don't know. I would hope so. I don't, I like, I'm not sure if it was that he was kidnapped and then he was, but I mean, he was being flown all over the place. Right. So I highly. We all know sex trafficking still happens. Right. Like, like it's a thing. Constantly. So, so. I'm kind of curious if no, he did not. And he just was flown all over the place until he was like an adult and but i mean like after this there's no like i didn't look into like oh. after this i was there no, was a lot fine. to look into no, you're fine but just curious yeah i i'm not sure okay all of these witnesses would get dragged through the mud in the media 
they would victim blame, making them seem like crazy partiers that were just like out of their mind and doing things themselves and pointing out the fact that they just, you know, were young and wanted to get basically making it seem like they were trying to make it up so that they would get attention Mm -hmm. and that they made all this up in their head because they were on drugs and drinking and partying and whatever. Alicia Owen began going to Larry King's parties when she was only 14, implicating Omaha police chief, Robert Wadman. Oh, she remember Wadman Lieutenant. He oh, was he's the now chief. the police chief. Yeah. Oh, the Claiming that he had raped her, gotten her pregnant and shoved a barrel, the barrel of his gun up the hoop into her based on the, interview, Caradori subpoenaed 62 people that Owen was able to name. After publicly making it known that he wanted to speak to all of these people, he began to get harassed. Um, his house was broken into. His phone was tapped. You could hear the click, 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 mm-hmm. click. He would get, like, calls that would have nobody on the other line. Right. Um, Caradori tracked Rusty Nelson to Chicago. Remember Rusty? Mm-hmm. Fucking Rusty, the photographer. That fucking name. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, to Chicago. Yeah. And took his, he took his private plane with him. So apparently Caradori's a big deal, but he took a private plane there, um, to confront him. And I don't know why, but for whatever reason, he brought his son there thinking that they were going to go to like a baseball game while they were in town. And so he was going to go and interrogate this guy. They were going to go to a game and then they were going to fly back. But, um, I don't, it's weird, not sure why, but during the ride home, the plane blew up midair. Before leaving, he had called the head of the Franklin committee and said that they had gotten them. So he had to have had some sort of information that was damning and they could have (gasps) pinned people. So he and his son died in this plane explosion. A farmer witnessed what he said looked like a flash in the sky and then saw the plane coming down. Reports on the news would follow saying that the plane exploded when it hit the ground, but that's not what the witnesses saw. That it exploded in the air. Mm-hmm. Which would make it more of a... More likely to be something intentional. Mm-hmm. Not a malfunction of any sort of right. mechanics. Um, it, there is a story that when the first responder got there, he said that he saw photos of children who are nude and being abused, like scattered throughout the ground. And then the government came in and basically blocked it off saying it was a federal crime because he was flying from state to state and cleaned everything up and took it all away. And there was never anything said about any of the child pornography or anything else again. Uh, remember this was a private plane, so it's weird that the government would come in mm-hmm. for that because it's not necessarily, it's not like a, yeah. a murder. It, it was a yeah. plane crash, you know? So a little odd. Caradori's wife wasn't notified by the authorities that he passed away and that his son, her son passed away. She heard from friends that there was a crash and they had called her because they heard and they called her and that's how she found out. Um, and the same day 
The FBI raided his office and took all of his files on the case, and the official cause of the crash was considered a mechanical failure. No. Yeah. So he had no files on his, and he was part of the Franklin Committee, so he had no Franklin Committee files in his in his office anymore. There was nothing said about anything that was found on the plane. No. Yeah. Unless there's like, they didn't want to blow up the spot because they were working on something, which nothing ever came of it. I don't understand why they would do that. No. Yeah. So after all of this happened, John DeCamp writes the DeCamp memo, basically throwing all of the information that he had into the public. He's like, well. Oh, shit. Yeah. As soon as this all came out, the Omaha World Herald attacked all of the witnesses that, like, the names were given because he got there okay, and he was just like, there you go. There's all the info. So Harold Anderson, the owner of the paper, the um, Omaha World Herald, was a donor and supporter of Larry King mm-hmm. and all of his stuff that She's he She's a fucking do. raper, allegedly. Allegedly. A columnist, Peter... Creighton or Crichton, I'm not sure, uh, was known, was a known pedophile with an arrest record <gasps> multiple times, which I hate when I see that because it's like, so he clearly has been convicted and is still a threat and gets put mm-hmm. out and then does it again. <sighs> the World Herald is also a co-owner to an election software and software system which was installed in more than 260,000 voting systems in the United States, providing assistance to over 50,000 elections in history. So, like, easy to have your hand in the pot when you're start. like, all of these things are just It legit goes all the way to the top. Okay. Um, yeah. And it's, it's just so crazy how everything, like, interconnects. The grand jury trial prep began. They are looking. So after everything happened, they throw out the information. They start their grand jury trial, which do you know how grand juries work? For the most part, but where it's like for people that don't. So it's those people versus whatever Mm -hmm. trials. And it basically they have a committee of people and the majority of them have to vote to go forward with charges. Okay, yeah. So it's the judges vote to go forward with charges. So for this trial, they were looking to get depositions or testimony from at least 83 people so that they could cover all their bases. Um, this, and this is like, they got their 83 to 84 witnesses and this would be considered the people versus the Franklin Credit Union. So mm-hmm. they're using the company because then they can, ex- in extension, use the people outside of the company. Right. So they're doing a lawsuit toward against the Franklin Credit Union. They were able to come up with the 84 witnesses, but the problem was that after the four that, the four that testified first, after they did, the rest backed out. Um, because they were subject to scrutiny and they were embarrassed in public. Mm-hmm. Two of them were actually killed. And were they actually killed or were they, did they have suicide? Well, two of them ended up dead. We'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Cause 
I'm pretty sure I go a little more into detail okay. here in a little bit. Uh, the two that were left to testify were Alicia Owen and Paul Benaki. So that's like as far as we know. That's the, those are the people that were willing to talk, and that's it. Once all of this happened, Larry King, Larry King's people, whoever they want to call that, flew him to Minnesota mm. to a mental health facility to be evaluated because okay. they're going to decide he's crazy. I Probably Mayo. Maybe. Uh, I would think they would go to the biggest one, which would be Mayo. Attempting to show that he had lost his mind, they kept... They kept him there throughout the trial. Uh, in fact, they never even tried to call him as a witness, saying, be- quote, because King is presently in an institution out of state pursuant to an order from a federal court, and because he, we believe that he would rely on his right against self-incrimination, we decided it would not be fruitful for us to attempt to require King to appear before us. Okay. So it makes sense, but it's also like, at least try. Like, he's mm-hmm. like the figurehead of this, but whatever. So on July 23rd, 1990, the county grand jury threw out all of the child sex abuse charges. King was sentenced for other white-collar crimes, such as embezzlement. In the Ponzi scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, admitting that abuse had happened, but the Franklin Credit Union didn't necessarily have anything to do with it. So they went through the leap- loophole of using w- how they tried to do it against them. Okay. Um, as well as charging Alicia and Paul with perjury. What the fuck? Yeah, they received jail time because they said that it just... I mean, they admitted that it happened, but they had nothing to do with it, so now they're saying that they're lying, so they got charged with perjury. Um, so Are they you ended fucking up, kidding? No, they ended up receiving jail time. For the crimes that King was charged with, the white-collar crimes, he received nine years in prison. Alicia Owen, on the other hand, was charged with eight counts of perjury and was given 21 years in prison in which she spent the majority in solitary confinement for perjury. <gasps> so that's Are fucking weird. Are you fucking kidding? Yeah. So She's that's still weird. in jail? Um, well, she received 21 years in 1990, so probably not. But she was in solitary confinement. Did she, did she live? Did she have to stay the full 21 years or did she get probation? I'm assuming so because it doesn't say anything okay. about probation. It just says she was charged with the 21 years. Or con- whatever. Um, DeCamp was beside himself, could not believe that there were mm-hmm. no charges, no charges given towards King to deal with the sexual abuse, um, stating that he, quote, does not think there is a judge or another person involved in this case who does not know that horrible injustices have been done. Everybody knows that Alicia Owen is telling the truth and that she is being punished for it. And your honor, a person that has to be blind or totally dishonest not to know that some of the state's businessmen and top (laughs) officials have engaged in the worst crimes possible, which are now being covered up. And these kids, instead of being honored and protected for exposing 
for exposing them, they are being sent to prison. Mm-hmm. The judge's response was, I'm just a man. I'm not God. Basically, he... So basically, I'm just a man. I'm not God. I wish I were. I have no choice in what I've done. I'm just a man. I'm just a man, not God. I'm doing what I must with the evidence put before me. So he believes them, but he doesn't have any physical evidence in order to do anything about it. But then why are they... I just don't understand why they ended up in jail. See, that's where I'm like... That's where I go like, "Ah, I feel like something's either getting paid off or blackmailed. So Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if the judge is getting blackmailed or someone, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, Paul Benaki received five years in for perjury, which I'm not sure why he got less Mm -hmm. and would later go on to file a civil suit against King, but we'll get further into that in a little bit. Um, after Alicia, Alicia's conviction, John DeCamp found another young adult named Troy Bonner who was willing to testify under oath. From what he said, when he came into the room, he was ushered away into a... when For the court, when he came into the room, he was ushered, ushered away by judicial authorities, the prosecution. Um, when he left that room, he talked to DeCamp and basically said that if he was to testify that day that he would be put into prison for perjury and he used Alicia Owen as an example, look what they did to Alicia and look at what they did to my brother. He said his brother was one of the two that was found dead that had testified before. So I'm wondering if he was doing this like in honor of his brother, but then when they like, Mm -hmm, they were like, Hey, so here's the thing, you know? And then he was like, they did, they did it. They did it. It's, I can't, testify. Mm -hmm. Many of the the accounts he would have given matched Benaki's and Owen's. So they all had pretty much the same story. The biggest issue for Benaki and Owen is because they knew each other. They were saying, well, they probably like made up a story story. together. But since this kid was from an outside source, but had very similar stories, very similar Mm -hmm. stuff, this was going to be like the nail in the coffin type of thing they were right. hoping. Um, one of the toughest things about having witnesses for this is they are considered unreliable because a lot of them had mental illness or drug well, issues. Well, no fucking right. shit. They were drugged and raped repeatedly as children. Well, exactly. Allegedly. Right. And it's, well, it's so just like, oh, they were abused too much <laughs> to be able to be a reliable witness. Yeah. Like, oh sorry. Um, this whole Hollywood deal, and that's where I was thinking Epstein, of or yeah, Weinstein. Weinstein, Epstein is coming out is most likely very closely related, if not part of this too. Mm-hmm. Um, now that they're coming up with more details, and it's very similar to the stories that they right. had back, you know, twenty, thirty years ago. Um, now in nineteen ninety nine. John DeCamp and Paul Benaki brought their civil suit against Larry King for $1 million. Paul Benaki was called to, to the stand and testified in very detailed and long, in a very detailed and long-winded way. The story after story with names and times and places, even though he had been charged with perjury nine years before for telling the exact same stories, 
he was moved, the judge moved in favor of him for the $1 million. So he won his civil suit, which means that clearly Mm -hmm. it was believable enough to be able to win that. He just happened to not get a corrupt judge this time? Yeah. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get his money because it all depends right. on Larry King's like standing. Financial. And this was against Larry King and not the credit union. Mm-hmm. So that might be a big thing too. Larry King is now in Virginia and sells BMWs. Just so you know. Oh, he's not in prison or anything. No, cool. nope. He's still alive, still kicking and, uh, selling cars. Still probably. Okay. Um, Troy Bonner walked into a hospital in New Mexico not long ago yelling about how they were after him while holding and waving the book, the Franklin cover up, uh, the, he was sedated. And then the next morning when they came in to check on him, he was dead. He was bleeding out of his orifices and they're assuming that he was suicided, but they cited it as a suicide by like overdose or something like that. Yeah. And that is my last little bit. Cause that's the most recent thing. Uh, of the Franklin cover-up. I'm looking up one thing. Yeah, look it up. Do it. Do it. What you looking up? I'm trying to figure out. I want to know how long Alicia Owens was actually in person. Oh. Okay. Hello, puppers. I don't know. Hi, monkey. I know. I'm like... I can't find it. It's too much work. But that's so fucked up. Hello, Clover. Oh, oh. Right? Get out of your dumpster breath. Don't stick your tongue in my mouth. Got Amanda. <laughs> I was like, man, out of context, that's <laughs> that sounds real bad. <laughs> but yeah, I thought I think it's very interesting, and there's like now offshoots of that that I want to look more into. But just for and now Epstein's dead too. Yeah, by suicide. Oh. Hi. No. Okay. Yeah, you're like, oh, hi, hello. I saw you put your hand out. Um, I think you just licked my nipple. <laughs> she didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> Can you not breathe into the microphone, you weirdo? As you shove her face in. Don't sniff it either. Go away. Go lay down. Good girl. Um, no. So, oh, my fucking ear itches. Sorry, that was... That's fucked. I don't like that at all. <laughs> and I can tell that there's like more and more stories to uh, yeah, it's, it's black holes to go wild. down. That's why I was like, if I'm going to do that, I need to like have plenty of prep time because I need to like figure out how and what I'm going to tell. So I just kind of went by a, by a like storyline, try to make it as like timeline as I could. Yeah. No, that was good. It was good. Oh, good. Oh, oh good. Do you want to hear about how I almost blew my hand off this weekend or this week? Blew your hand off? Like, yeah. with the wind or, like, with an explosion? An explosion. Okay. So, when I... I'm not a morning person. No. And I've been doing a lot of overtime, so I get up and I'm, like, half asleep. And I go to the bathroom and I pee. Then I plug my flat iron in. <laughs> then I plug my flat iron in. And I don't turn any lights on. I go back in my room, turn the light on in there. Because the lights in my bathroom, you can do surgery under. They're so fucking bright. And I plug it in. And it lights up the bathroom. And in my hand is a ball of fire and plastic. 
and I'm half asleep, and I go, <gasps> and I drop it. And then I'm like, I'm hitting it out on the floor. The fuck did you do? My, the cord, like, so where the plug-in goes into the wall, and then where the cord goes into the plug-in, blew up. And I had, like, a little, like, it wasn't, like, a huge fireball, but, like, the whole room lit up. At least that's what it felt like to my half-asleep brain. And then I had, like, a tiny little, like, glowing ball of fire in my hand that I dropped. Get out! And then my hand, I didn't have any burns, but I had black plastic marks. There's still some on that middle finger, and I've washed my hand, like, multiple times. And showered twice, and it's still, like, just... Yeah, it just fucking blew up. And then I was like, I like turned the light on and I was like, I don't know what the fuck just happened. And I like pull up my straightener cord and it's like sheared off, just like smoothly melted straight. And then like the end of the plug-in is also like smoothly melted straight. And I'm like, the fuck? So then I like unplug it, like with, I grab like cloth and I wrap it around it and I unplug it. And then I take, like, I'm like, which one of these things do I not? I have, like, a, I have, like, a, I bought a hair waiver. I don't know why I did that, because all it does is make my hair look poofy. <laughs> and I, like. I got a hair waiver, because I have wavy hair. <laughs> and I, um, I thought it would give me beach waves, but instead it just looks, makes me look like I stuck my head in a light socket. <laughs> so I don't use that. So I plug that in, because it's like, I don't fucking care if this blows up. So I plug that in, and I'm, like, feeling the wall to make sure, like, there didn't go up any fire, like, in the wall. Right. But, no, it was just my straightener just blew up in my hand. I nearly fucking died. My dad's feeding the dogs. That's what that sound is. The, the, the food container. It sounds like a beast. <laughs> Somebody unleashed the Kraken in our house. <laughs> Dude, what the hell? Yeah, just, I nearly died. It's fine. It blew off my hand. Almost started the house on fire. Yeah, NBD. Jeez Louise. And then I was like, cool. And then, of course, I had showered the night before, put my hood up on my sweatshirt, and went to bed. So, like, my hair was, like... Tucked. There was no save in it, unless I had a straightener. Uh, I thought you were talking about, like, the fire. No. And you're glad that it wasn't out of your hood? No. I was talking about the fact that I, like, took my hood down and went, whoa... Really wish I had my hair straightener. <laughs> so I just <laughs> threw it up in a bun. <laughs> it's like, I nearly died this morning. <laughs> this is a rough morning. It's a rough morning. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, Let's uh, do something not depressing for 32. Yes. How about that? Or if, if at least not awful. Dead and raped children? Yeah. Like, okay. Oh, man. So, follow us on everything if you're still listening. If you're still out there. If you're still out there. If you're out there somewhere. (laughs) Uh, Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at ISWThePodcast. Shoot us an email at ISWThePodcast at gmail.com. Visit our website. Learn about your cool hosts. Keep liking and subscribing and all of the things. Yeah. Rating. Give us reviews. Maybe not after this one. Maybe, like, wait till after the next one. Yeah. So you sorry. get a good taste in your mouth. I'm sorry. No, I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Fuck. I just want margaritas and tacos. Oh, I always want margaritas. I might get some fajitas. 
Fajitas? Fajitas. Mm-hmm. I'm. I don't know. I. I like my enchiladas. Ooh. Oh, so sexy. Oh. 